I'm Chip Freud, and this is the Artist Spotlight, conversations with contemporary artists based on five simple questions that explore the artist's journey, creativity, and sources of inspiration. Welcome to another episode of the Artist Spotlight podcast. Today, I'm joined by Caitlin Carey. Caitlin is an accomplished fiber artist based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Hi, I'm happy to be with you. Uh, it's marvelous. We've had a chance to get together. We've uh, uh, sort of known each other, you know, for a, a couple years now. I've got some common friend connections, but I've just loved your work. Uh, and this just gave me an opportunity to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, so for the interest of uh, our audience here, can you can you tell our audience a little bit about the current projects you may be working on or something maybe you just finished? Sure. I, uh, well, in order to keep myself going, I always need deadlines. So the big thing is, um, <clears throat> you know, I just sort of wrapped up my last shows of 2020. Wait, no, the other year, 2021. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, got to sort of spend 2020 making that work and 2021, uh, uh, resting on my laurels in that regard, uh, you know, and so now I've booked a show upcoming at the Iredell. I've learned how to say um, Arts Council, which is a nice big gallery. So I will need to make a whole lot of work. And I am so I'm, you know, as it's kind of a lucky spot to be in as as I begin a new year to feel like I'm beginning a whole new um, project and I, I don't know how much I know about it yet, except for that it um, I I'm have been I've spent the past year kind of engaging with a whole lot of experimentation in terms of using different materials while still uh, in the world of fabric. I've um, begun. Uh, using some transparent fabrics, a, a lot of silk, um, and adding beeswax and to uh, um, coating fabrics with beeswax to achieve a kind of layering that I had never done before, which is not the easiest thing to explain um, without a whole lot of visual aids. But suffice to say that if you imagine how I have heretofore been making my work, it's one flat piece of something with a bunch of flat other pieces placed next to one another. If you think about quilting, if anybody knows something about quilting, you know, the each element is next to the other. And so this is, um, I'm playing with layering things on top of each other, trying to create a kind of depth because um, because I am fascinated by how I can get deeper into, I guess I'm mostly concerned with the built environment still um, depicting structures, but I feel like I can get, I can get uh, uh, into another dimension, a little deeper into space. And that's exciting. Um, and I've had a lot of, uh, dubious potential failures over the past year um but i think i'm on to something and or i hope i am and um so that's kind of where my head is and i uh, in the you know in the interim i'm always 
fortunate to be able to say that I keep myself in serial with uh, doing commission work, such as such as what you uh, engaged me to do some couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, where I, you know, depict people's homes or their businesses, or I'm going to do one of a, a, a nearby elementary school where the principal who's much beloved is retiring. And so people have gotten me to, to make a needleprint of the school. So, so in the, you know, in between tearing my hair out over this new stuff, I can do what I'm used to doing and, uh, <laughs> and make a little money. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thanks for that introduction of, of uh, what you're up to. Uh, as you know, this podcast really is all about our five questions. And the first of which is, what is your earliest memory of making art of any kind? You know, I think that I would say that my very first, and I was so lucky in this way that I, I guess being old has its advantages because I, my dad gave me a pocket knife and I'm pretty sure I was four and I, and he taught me how to safely whittle, uh, you know, solely by means of pointing the knife away from you instead of towards you ever, ever, ever. And I, he could, he could convince me that that was the only possible way that I was going to be allowed to do it. And so I remember sitting out in the woods on the wood pile um whittling things sticks um and I did indeed feel like I you know was trying to sculpt I'm I'm sure I don't remember an end product of any of them but it was more than just it was it was a an intentional kind of removing of layers of wood trying to make faces or things like that so okay because I, I certainly whittled as a kid but i was just making pointy sticks like every other boy <laughs> <laughs> well i'm sure i made plenty of pointy sticks too but i do feel like i and my dad was an was a um was many thing a musician and an artist and a engineer and a blah 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 so i had from my earliest you know i had the example of you mm. can use tools to make cool things. <laughs> oh, excellent. That's a very cool story. You have, a, for at least for me, what I think is a pretty unique medium. I don't think I'd seen uh, much of the needleprint as you describe it of what you do. Um, tell our listeners a little bit about um, what a needleprint is and what brought you to that medium. Sure. I. Um... So I think a lot of people in the fiber arts would have started with an, a, with, you know, sewing skills, which I kind of came at this backwards and I've taught myself to sew well enough to do what I came up with wanting to do. Uh, you know, I had, I had sewn napkins and tablecloths, hems and that sort of thing, but never really tried quilting. And, and in some ways, I don't really think about myself at all as a quilter, even though that is definitely the closest friend of what I do and it is a kind of quilting. Although I think that people um, who are serious quilters would argue with me because I think a definition is that it absolutely must be possible for a quilt to be functional, even if its end goal is to hang on a wall, 
it's not called a quilt unless you could put it over your body and keep warm. I'm pretty sure I'm not speaking out of turn by saying that. So what I do is um, was always intended to be um, stiff and hung on a wall in a frame. So I start with a, it, for a long time, I sewed fabric onto paper. And uh, recently in the past couple of years, I've moved away from the paper for various, mostly just archival practical mm. reasons. And I'm sewing onto canvas that I stiffen with gesso and uh, book binding glue. So it essentially gets as hard as paper. And the, the stiff part is important in my thinking and process because it allows for a really tiny detail that would be, I mean, some people accomplish it in with just soft, smushy fabric, but I don't know that I could. So <laughs> the stiff stuff is, um, is what allows me to create detail. And I, um, and let's see, and I made up the word needle prints because I felt like there wasn't a very great word for what I did, calling it fabric collage, which is what it, it is. Um, it's, you know, very similar to paper, cut paper collage, except for all the stitched elements and, um, and, and its reliance on fabric, which is, um, I might be getting a little rambly here, but um, basically what I'm doing is applique quilting on stiff surface. And I work from photographs uh, that I, whenever possible, there are photographs that I've taken, but sometimes when I'm doing a commission I have, or, or a historic subject, I have to use, a, in, you know, someone else's photograph. Um, and the photograph is actually cut up and becomes pattern pieces. So my, mm. a pretty literal translation that, you know, that uh, from, in terms of perspective, uh, at least, and, you know, depending on my level of skill, <laughs> how, how well I do at transliterating it is, uh, you know, up to the eye of the beholder. But anyway, that's kind of my process and what I do and, and also why it lends itself to commission. What led you to this media? I, I'm pretty sure I can honestly say it was a trip to the scrap exchange, um, which is this, for people who don't know, I, I, I imagine if our audience is local, all the artists know about it, but it's this magic place in Durham that's a big uh, warehouse full of cast-offs from all industries, all kinds of different industries. There's, you know, there's glassware from laboratories, there's bowling balls sometimes, there's uh, paper, wood, fabric, uh, etc. And what I came across one time um was sample books from upholstery uh, yeah. uh industry and i feel like i guess i knew in the back of my mind about those things but we weren't a family who had things custom upholstered or anything and i didn't know anybody in that line of work so they were kind of a revelation to me that these existed and that all of this amazing textured fabric existed and um and I, I think that I was immediately attracted to the reuse um, uh, element of, of, 
you know, when I, when I was stretching away from being a professional mu musician and towards being somebody who made things I did early on think like, God, does the world need any more crap? <laughs> um, and so really it appealed to me right away to, to keep things out of the landfill and make them into something else that hopefully it'll be a long time before they go back in the landfill, but who knows? At least they'll go to the thrift store first. <laughs> true, true. Well, having acquired one of your pieces as a gift, um, I think they, in most cases, will be treasured for many years to come because um, they are truly unique and, and beautiful pieces. So um, that's the hope. <laughs> indeed. I have found my records in the thrift store, so I can't imagine it will. It, it'll happen in my lifetime that I'll find a hopefully one of the small early pieces. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've already mentioned commissions, but in the uh, outside of the commission space, what inspires your art? Where does it come from? Hmm. I think I was, I was thinking about this question ahead of time. Um, and the answer is really just uh, a wandering and seeing in a, in the different way that you know about from your photography work. And I just relish this and it, it absolutely 1 million percent does not happen to me every time I walk out the door. I kind of have to go out with this intention into the world and look for things of interest, you know, subjects of interest and, um, and very fortunately, I my work does not demand that I be a great photographer in any sense of the word because, you know, I'm making it out of fabric, so I don't have to get the light just right or the or even, you know, even if the angles aren't just right, I can fudge that and play with that and crop and you know that sort of thing. I, I am not a developed. Um, or a, a naturally great photographer I uh somewhere in in between it going into the camera and coming out I do, do do some manipulation and and I do take lots and lots of photos of the subject and uh feel like I've developed an eye for finding the best one that I got mm -hmm. <laughs> kind of thing but that's the great thing about what I do is that fabric adds all this extra magic, you know, so it doesn't have to be magic at the beginning of the process, but the, but, you know, the, what motivated me first was, um, was kind of historic preservation impulses because I've lived in Raleigh for, uh, sheesh. 25 years ish or maybe maybe it's longer now my, I might have been saying that for too long now <laughs> but um uh and it's a place I moved to like sight unseen I had I came here for grad school because Lee Smith was teaching writing and I was uh I fancied myself an author at the, or a budding author at the time and I came here to get a master's degree and so of all the places I've ever lived, it was like this place that I discovered totally organically. And there were all these, and I didn't quite know why I was here or why I would pick it. And so there were all these sort of landmark places that 
were what Raleigh was when I first plopped myself here and figured out what I what it what it was, where I was, and slowly over the past you know 10 or 15 years like watching them disappear one by one started to feel like started to produce a great deal of anxiety for me and for Mm -hmm. and I think it was kind of in the culture too like for everybody everybody's like oh my god they tore down and Mm -hmm. um and so the though my first several years were spent depicting I guess I call them humble landmarks and like um, and learning how to do what I was doing. Um, and they didn't have to be perfect or because they were already perfect to people, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> so that was a good, I, I recommend that as a way to enter art, find a subject first that, you know, people are going to dig. And then you can, <laughs> even if the first things you make aren't perfect, people might still want them <laughs> and make you feel like you're doing something val- valuable. <laughs> Yeah, one of those uh, landmarks I remember of yours is the uh, um, International House of Pancakes building. I mean, that's such an iconic structure from across the country. Uh, yeah. But one by one, they've been disappearing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and I don't know that I'd ever. I don't know what where they are elsewise. I. I I know that it's a national chain, of course, but I don't remember seeing one that looked quite as crazy and cool as the one on Ellsborough Street. Well, that actually was their standard design, as I understand it, because, uh, I mean, you and I both had spent some of our youth on the east side of Cleveland, and I know there was one on the east side of Cleveland that had that oh, big right. A-frame shape to it. I missed it. Darn. Uh, I, I was just born. <laughs> I wasn't old enough to eat pancakes before I left. <laughs> Uh, There you go. All right. So that brings us to question number four, which is what advice would you give to an artist just starting out? Well, I guess I kind of put some of that in question three. Whoops. I I must be pedantic today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, I think what it really takes is a kind of fearlessness and self-trust that, and I I was lucky to be able to come at it this way because I kind of squiggled out of one quote unquote career into another one and without, with a sort of seamless feel to it. I didn't, I didn't really admit to myself that I wasn't a professional musician anymore until I was already kind of doing this, but all my life I have been, uh, have bravely hung upon the wall, anything that I made. And I feel like that, that can get squished out of you really easily by, um, by all kinds of means. Some, uh, some happen in school, although I, I'm absolutely not here to say don't go to art school. I would never say such a thing. And if I could tomorrow, I would go to art school. But um, and and take the criticism too. Uh, I think all of that is completely valid. But I do feel like if um, if you can uh, learn to love what you make and and just love it because you made it, and it don't feel as though that can is 
terribly dangerous, I think. Um, that's that's hmm. my real advice. And I, I think it could somebody could shoot holes all through that and it might lead to a whole lot of terrible art being made, but it's not gonna kill anybody. <laughs> You'll know in a while if nobody buys it, <laughs> you know. But but I think that 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 um, trust trust yourself and and trust your abilities and go forth. Mm. That's some good advice because I know you know I'm a, a late in life artist, if you will, and one of the things that I've had my moments of struggle with is the imposter syndrome. You know, sure. how in the world can I can I be here? I, I'm not of that caliber. I'm not. I can't. And you got to get yourself out of that because it can be very self-defeating. And I think your point of just, you know, do what you love and be fearless about it. That's that's sound advice. Well, thanks. And yeah, I I feel like if if you spend any time at all talking to any artist of in, in any discipline of art, or perhaps anybody in the whole wide world, we all will say we know about the imposter syndrome. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Well, brings us to our final question, and that is, if you could pick an artist or two, if you can't just get one, that we should all go check out. This is an opportunity to share somebody maybe that you've just recently discovered or has been a long time uh, mentor or inspiration for you but somebody who should go check out their work what a delightful question well and um uh I'll, i'll just go ahead and use this moment to give a teeny tiny plug for my new um endeavor that began uh just about a year ago my husband and I opened a little teeny tiny art gallery so um the first thing i'll say is you can discover our favorite artists at the pocket gallery (laughs) <laughs> um, including some artists who have been my earliest um, influences. I love the work of um, Megan Sullivan, who um, is not a, she's not a full-time artist. I don't know if she has ever only made art, but she always has made art and she works with the sewing machine and she has this, she's very interested in op art um she's extremely precise in her work and trying to accomplish like vis- visual trickery um which is i my best attempt at a very lame description of what op art definition of what op art is but she's also really funny and most of her work contains um some text and she's a really fine comedian and i really think that uh, you know, art that makes you, uh, tricks your eye and makes you th- think about deeply about the process. Cause she, you know, as someone who is trying to make sewing work, she's like, she's totally an inspiration, but then also to laugh, <laughs> um, and think, and her jokes are not silly. They are deep, um, mm. She would disagree. I have a feeling she would argue against me. Um, and let's see, um, an artist who uh, we have shown uh, and continue to show 
on and off is Pete Sack, um, who was a colleague of mine at ArtSpace, who I admire for all kinds of reasons, uh, um, mostly his uh, avid dedication to his work. As he's like the, I would hold him up as the example of like how you how you put in the work and do the do the thing. Uh, he can, he can work in any style that he wants. He's currently making some um, very abstract pieces, but he's uh, yeah. I won't try to go into describing his work because it's very it's extremely varied, and I just think it's all extremely um, valuable and beautiful. And um, and in fact, we just bought ourselves a Pete Sack painting that we're very excited about. <laughs> we're trying to trying to become collectors. We have a few walls that need filling. And so uh, those are two to, to put on your radar. And, uh, and yeah, like I said, come to the pocket because we're chock full of all of our favorite local artists and we're showing, um, it was a monthly rotation. I've now moved it to every to bi-monthly rotation guest artists. So there's always someone new to see. And it's been really, really cool and gratifying to take on this role as a quote unquote, I, I guess I'm just a flat out greenhorn curator. If I, <laughs> you know. But it's been great. Well, cool. Thank you for those recommendations. I'll have to definitely go check them out. And that brings us, uh, to the end of our conversation, as I uh, remind our listeners each time, if you want to learn more about Caitlin's art, you can check her out at CaitlinCarry.com or, as she mentioned, at her new pocket gallery in the historic Oakwood section of Raleigh. Uh, it is definitely worth a stop uh, as you uh, make your way through downtown Raleigh. So, Caitlin, thank you again for your time. Uh, this has been a real pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing you again soon. Thanks, it's an honor to have been invited. Thanks a lot for what you're doing. Thank you for joining us. This has been the Artist Spotlight with Chip Freund. Find accompanying blog posts at shipfrointphoto.com slash blog. And you may subscribe to our show on Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like listening.